0: We welcome you to the Tabernacle podcast brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website TabernacleBaptistChurch.com You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart I'd like for you to take God's word and go with me into the book of Malachi this morning and we come this morning to Malachi chapter number three. Malachi chapter number three. And uh, we'll begin reading in just a moment in verse number seven. Malachi chapter number three and uh, verse number seven. I will be preaching this morning on the subject of tithing, tithes and offerings. And. Uh, to give us a proper comprehensive view of this subject i'll be preaching from this text over the next 3 sundays and we'll look at different thoughts from this text as god speaks to us through his word on this matter of tithes and offerings i'd like for you to look with me into our text malachi chapter number 3 Beginning in verse 7, even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee, in tithes and offerings? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and ye shall not destroy, or and he shall not rather, he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, For ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. We note a statement that we read in verse number 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. God is challenging his people here to bring the tithes into the storehouse. In verse number 10, as we follow that, line as god speaks to us concerning the tithe in the very middle portion of the 10th verse he says and prove me now herewith saith the lord of hosts Uh, we have designated this sunday prove the tithe sunday Uh, we are uh, emphasizing and encouraging our people god's people uh, those who are members of this church to participate Uh, In the regular giving that God has prescribed for his church called Tithes and Offerings. We're doing this in preparation also for uh, the stewardship campaign that we're currently underway. uh, As we look to Promise Sunday, Sunday, October 29th. uh, Where we're asking every member in our church to make a sacrificial gift, a first fruits offering to further the development of the property that God supplied to us next door. We have a plan for that property, one that we've talked about at length, and we've printed some materials. If you'd like some information about that, we'll be glad to get it to you. We're asking everyone in our church to do two things on Promise Sunday. Number one, make a sacrificial gift. Number two, to make a commitment. A commitment to give over the period of the next three years on a regular basis as God leads you, as God has provided for you to make a commitment to give to this building project. We're calling it the Tabernacle Fund, so you may hear a lot about the Tabernacle Fund in the coming days. But not only do we want to be faithful in giving for the Tabernacle Fund, but as a church we need to be faithful in our stewardship and in our giving. The tithe, the tenth, that belongs to the Lord. And God said in his word as he spoke to his people here in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. That's the title of the message this morning. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, the theme of the book of Malachi is worship. And what we know of worship is that worship is our rightful response to the revelation of God. As God reveals himself to us through his word and by his spirit, we respond in love and devotion and adoration to him. We respond in obedience. And our worship is expressed in different ways. When we meet corporately as a church, we worship the Lord that involves prayer that involves our praise to him often that is done but not exclusively in the form of singing Uh, we have the preaching and the teaching of god's word the ministry of god's word is an aspect of worship our response to the ministry of god's word is an aspect of worship and our giving yes our giving is an expression of worship it is a worship form that is expressed to god in a real and tangible way and so we understand that there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and how we handle our finances someone has said you cannot divorce faith from finances God sees them as inseparable. Randy Alcorn has reminded us in his book, The Treasure Principle, that 15% of everything that the Lord Jesus Christ said in his earthly life and ministry that is recorded for us in the Word of God, 15% of it deals with the topic of money and possessions. And so we find here that in these verses, God reproves the nation of Israel, and He he pleads with them. He calls them uh, to return to Him. And as we examine these verses over the next several weeks, we're going to note three lessons. Three lessons. I want to give you all three of them, and if you're taking notes, let me encourage you to write them down. But we'll note, first of all, the controversy concerning the tithe. The controversy. Money is a controversial topic to discuss. Secondly, the cost of disobedience concerning the tithe. And then thirdly, the confidence we have in bringing the tithe. The confidence we have. Well, I want to speak to you, first of all, on the controversy concerning the tithe. And I want you to know that the controversy was a controversy that God had with his people. Notice, if you would, in verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You see, we find from the words of Malachi the prophet that the people of God had gone away from his ordinances, meaning they had not kept them. They had strayed from him. And God, in his grace and in his mercy, is pleading with his people, As in the book of Isaiah, when the Lord said, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. God is a God of reasoning. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of patience. He's a God of love. And so he is lovingly speaking to his people. He is pleading with them to come back to him. Why? Because they've been disobedient to him. They had gone away from him. And now they were living absent of his blessing. You see, when God gives us a command in the scriptures... It's not to make us miserable. No. God doesn't give us the thou shalt nots so that we can live unhappy lives. God gives us the thou shalt nots to protect us, to keep us from things that will harm us. God gives us the thou shalt to guide us and direct us into his blessing. And God is concerned. His people are living in disobedience to him. They're living outside of his blessings. Therefore, he calls them to return to him with the promise that he would return to them. Now, let me just be clear. God has not departed from them. Look, if you would, in verse number six. He says in verse six of chapter three, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God says, I haven't left you. I haven't forgotten you. I change not. I am a covenant-keeping God. You are my people. I am merciful to you. But I want you to know that in your disobedience, you are living absent of my blessings. If you will return unto me, then I will bless you in exchange. So there's a warning for us here in verse 7 that I'd like for us to note. And here it is. When we neglect the worship of God, will soon stray in our walk with God. That's exactly what's happened in the nation of Israel here in Malachi chapter number 3. In fact, all through this book, Malachi has prophesied against the Jews. Why? Because they had gone away from the Lord. They had gone away from Him in love and devotion. They had gone away from Him in reverence to His name, the sacredness and holiness of His table. They had gone away from the truth of God's Word and the observance of his law, they had gone away from the Lord in their homes and in their marriages by forsaking their wives, and they had gone away in the area of their tithes and offerings unto the Lord. So the message of Malachi, the last message in the Old Testament, by the way, is a very fitting message for today. Because we find ourselves as a nation and culturally, as, as even, even in the church, we find many of these same problems. And by the way, God was speaking to his people here. We find that there's a temptation that we're faced with. Idolatry is a sin that surrounds us. Like an invading army. Try to penetrate our hearts. The idols of this world, they they beckon us. They call out to us. They're the gods of pleasure, the gods of possessions and wealth and power and entertainment. All the things that captivate our hearts and minds. They demand an offering, by the way, these gods. An offering of our devotion, our time, and our money. And it's in the worship of these idols that we rob God of the worship that he alone deserves. The Bible says in the book of Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord, verse 2, I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Don't forget about me, that's what he's saying. I am the Lord. Verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so we find that giving is a spiritual issue, not simply a financial one. In Luke chapter 16, would you turn there with me just a few pages over from the book of Malachi? Luke chapter number 16. The Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples and those who attending his preaching. In Luke chapter 16 and verse number 10, he says, he that is faithful... In that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is in unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? What is, Pastor, the unrighteous mammon? What is he speaking about? He's speaking about our material goods, our possessions, our wealth. He's speaking of our responsibility to be stewards in his kingdom. You see, if we're going to get this matter of tithes and offerings correct, we have to understand who has the ownership here. Who has the ownership? Is this ours or is this his? The Lord says in verse 12, And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, Who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, there are two competing gods here in this context. Money or the Lord. So we understand that giving is a spiritual issue, not simply a financial one. And notice what he says back in Malachi chapter 3 in verse number 8. It's really a shocking question, isn't it? Will a man rob God? What do we learn about these Jews? We learn that they were guilty of robbing God. Now, how do you rob somebody? Well, there's only one way to do it. It's when you take what belongs to someone else. And God said, you've taken what belongs to me. You have robbed me of that which is mine how daring a thought is it to think that someone a man will a man rob god that's a pretty bold thing to do isn't it matthew henry referred to those who rob god as wicked servants who not only run away from their master but run away with their master's goods. In the Enduring Word Commentary, we read that there were four things that make this such a shocking thing. I just want to give them to you quickly. Number one, robbing God is a daring thing to do. Maybe you've seen the videos that I've seen where these people go into these shopping Uh, shopping centers and malls and stores and a group of people will just go in and take what they want and just walk out the door. It's appalling, isn't it? It's hard to believe that we've, we've come to such a place in our society where that is something that happens and that it appears, it appears, I'm not sure, but it appears that they're just walking out with things and nothing is happening. And I think, what a daring, not, not in an admirable way, by the way. What a brazen, daring thing to do. Well, it's more brazen and more daring to rob the Lord. Robbing God is shamefully ungrateful. Not to give to God what belongs to him after he has been so good to us. It's beyond definition. It's beyond our ability to even consider the ingratitude of such an act. Robbing God, thirdly, is senselessly self-destructive. It's self-destructive. And then fourthly, robbing God will certainly result in punishment. So the question was, will a man rob God? Wherein have we robbed thee, they said, in tithes and offerings. Well, So that comes to another question. What is the tithe? What is that? Well, the tithe simply means the tenth. The tenth. And we learn from God's word that the tithe, the tenth, belongs to God. As I said a moment ago, it's really all about the proper view of ownership. You see, God is not asking us to give what is ours to him. No, God is asking us to give what is his to him. And his part that he asks us to give back to him is the tenth, the tithe. The Bible says in Psalm 24 in verse number one, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein it all belongs to God in fact Haggai when he was prophesying to the people uh, to rebuild the temple after they returned from captivity he reminded them of this in Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 8 the silver is mine and the gold is mine saith the Lord of hosts God owns it all and when we tithe we're just simply giving to him what belongs to him. We are proving then our faithfulness, our worship, our love to him, our devotion to him. And when we tithe, we honor the Lord, as Proverbs 3, 9 tells us. We honor the Lord with our substance and the first fruits of all our increase, that tenth that belongs to the Lord. That means whatever I earn at work, the tenth belongs to the Lord. Whatever I earn in my investments, the tenth belongs to the Lord. The first fruits of all my increase, I'm to honor God with. Well, there are some who would say and ask and have, does tithing apply to the church today? There are those who would say, tithing is simply a requirement of the Old Testament law and it no longer applies to the New Testament church. But I want to say to you that Abraham would firmly disagree. And I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. So go back with me to Genesis chapter number fourteen. Genesis chapter number fourteen. Because the first mention of the tithe in the Word of God is in Genesis 14. Abraham has come from the rescue of his nephew Lot. He has returned with Lot and with all those who were taken captive by the kings of the south. And uh, as he returns in Exodus chapter 14, in verse number 18, the Bible says that he meets Melchizedek. The Bible speaks of Jesus Christ in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we know that Melchizedek is a significant figure in the scripture. In fact, many believe that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ himself. The Bible says in, in Genesis 4 and verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. So we find here, and Hebrews makes the application for us, that the giving of tithes is an act of devotion to the Lord. In Genesis chapter 28, we have the second occurrence of the word tithes. And Jacob, after his vision, after he, he sees this ladder that leads to heaven and the angels ascending and descending, he vowed a vow unto the Lord in Genesis chapter 28, verse 20. And he said, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and the raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house And, of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So the tithe predates the law. The law substantiates and verifies the practice of the tithe, but it predates the law. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ himself commended the tithe. Go with me to the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke and the 11th chapter, Luke chapter number 11. And we'll look in verse number 42, Luke chapter 11 and verse 42. The Lord Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he is reproving them for their hypocrisy. But he brings up the subject of their tithing. He says, But woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. So we find that he's reproving them. Why? Because they are, they are very diligent about the minute details of the law, even to the point where they're, they are tithing Herbs and spices, things that had been they had received, they're, they're being careful to tithe those things, but they've overlooked judgment and the love of God. But he doesn't reprove them for their tithe. In, facts, in fact, rather, he commends them for it. In verse again in the lo, in the closing statement of verse 42, these, the payment of these tithes, ought ye to have done. You see, here we find again the Lord Jesus Christ then commends them for the tithe. So we understand that tithing is not something that just applies to the Old Testament law. It is something that should be practiced by all believers. Well, then there are those who would argue that the New Testament epistles include no direct command concerning the tithe. And while that is true we do find that the New Testament epistles speak with great clarity on the matter of Christian giving. And I want us the next few minutes just to look at some of these verses and see eight guiding truths, and I'll give them to you quickly. I know that makes you nervous, right? You hear the number eight, right? Eight guiding truths for Christian giving. Eight guiding truths. And by the way, if you don't put a pen to the paper, you're not going to remember these. I want you to look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 1. Hold your place there. We'll we'll move over to 2 Corinthians in just a moment. But 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Recently, I preached a message from this text. I would encourage you to listen to it uh, from First Corinthians chapter 16. You can find it on our YouTube channel or perhaps our Sermon Audio channel that has our messages recorded. And uh, in, that, in that message, I spoke about the giving plan and program of the church. But we learned some principles here that will help us in in guiding us in our Christian giving. I just want to give them to you. Number one, Christians should give regularly, periodically, repeatedly. Christians should give regularly, periodically, repeatedly. Look at verse 2, upon the first day of the week. Why the first day of the week? Well, that is the day the church gathers. They gather on the day that Christ arose. It is Sunday, the Lord's day. We give him the first day of the week. And we bring to the Lord on the first day of the week our tithes, the first fruits of all our increase, the tenth that belongs to the Lord, and our offerings. So Christians should give regularly, periodically, and repeatedly. Number two, all Christians should give. Look again in verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you. That means all of us should participate. Now, we cannot all participate to the equal amount, but we can all give according as God has blessed us. So, as Alcorn says, uh, giving is not simply the luxury of the rich. It is the opportunity of all, including the poor. A third guiding truth we find here is that Christians should plan their giving. Christians should plan their giving. Thought in advance. Think it out in advance. They should plan their giving. If your employer was not paying you for the hours you work, do you think you might notice it? Yes. Yes. In fact, I would imagine that many of you know exactly how many hours you worked, if there's overtime there, and and you look at your check, and you, you look at what Uncle Sam has taken out, the government, and uh, some of these kids don't know what Uncle Sam means anymore, and um, the government has this much, and uh, then you know, okay, this is what I've got, and you're looking at it. You're looking at it. In all of our diligence about our income, are we diligent in designating what belongs to the God? The Bible says, let every one of you lay by him in store. That means you have to, in advance, think about what you're giving. The tenth, the tithes, it belongs to the Lord. So calculate what that is. And bring that to the Lord. I'm saying let's not be casual about it. Let's not be slipshod about it. Let's be intentional and let's be on purpose about what we're giving God. And when we come to meet in God's house, we bring the tithe. Now I understand we live in the in the uh, technology age, and we have online giving. And uh, I personally I participate in online giving. That's the way our family has chosen to do it. But in my resistance initially to that, and I still think it's my resistance, is that we, if we're not careful, we'll fall into the danger of what we don't see being out of out of sight and out of mind. We have to be intentional about our giving. We have to be intentional about. It. So Christians should give regularly, periodically, repeatedly. That's number one. All Christians should give, that's number two. Number three, Christians should plan their giving, think it out in advance. Number four, Christians should give proportionately, proportionately. As I said, we're not all going to be able to give the same amount, but we all have the ability to give. We are to give as God hath prospered him. That's what the Bible says here in verse two. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him what does god ask us to do give according as he has given to us you remember when the lord jesus and the disciples were at the at the temple and the treasury and they were watching the wealthy people cast in their treasury and then comes the poor widow woman with her two mites just a minuscule very minuscule offering and the lord says to his disciples this woman cast in more than all of them In fact, in Mark chapter 12 and verse 44, he says it this way, For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. You see, God gave her more credit than anyone who had came before because she gave everything she had. So we learn that we are to give proportionately. Number five. Let me give you this one. Christians should give privately. They should give privately. That doesn't mean someone can't see you put an offering envelope in, in the plate. That that's not what he's referring to. What it's referring to is that we're not publishing what we're giving. By the way, when you give in this church, the only people that see that is the treasurer and those who help the treasurer count the money and the offering. The pastor doesn't see it, doesn't want to see it. The staff doesn't see it. Just those who have been elected by the church to handle that responsibility, they're the only people who see it, and they have proven to be mature people and people who are very discreet. So our giving is under the Lord. It's not to be celebrated or promoted, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But when thou doest thine alms, when you give, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly." And so we're not giving to say, look at us, look at what we've done, look how much we've given. I'm giving a lot of money in this church, you know. Sometimes you might hear somebody say something like that, thankfully not here, praise God. That's, that's something that should be avoided. Let me give you the sixth one. Christians should give generously. Generously. You're in 1 Corinthians 16. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Christians should give generously. That means we ought to give more, not less, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. God gives us a principle. If we sow sparingly, if we give sparingly, then we'll reap sparingly. But if we give generously, bountifully, we shall reap generously and bountifully. Have you come to realize that you cannot give God? God, who has been so good to us, so merciful, so kind, so gracious the God who has promised to supply all of our need according to His riches and glory, the God who loved us so that He spared not His own Son and has given to us all things richly, how can we not give to Him generously? Number seven, Christians should give freely. Freely, what do I mean by that? I mean free of guilt or manipulation free of guilt or manipulation. There are some churches that you will go to and they will ask you, what is your income and how much do you intend to give to the church? We don't do that here. That's a matter between you and the Lord. You say, Pastor, if I make a commitment to the building fund and I'm not able to make it, is somebody going to be coming knocking on my door? The answer to that question is no. Is somebody going to be comparing to see if I'm doing what? No. No, that's between you and the Lord. You see, we're we're not here to coerce people, to pressure people, to force people to do anything. If we're not giving out of our hearts, then it's to no avail, right? What did he say about the one who was giving to be seen of men? He says, they have no reward. Not from me. They got it from men. If you want the reward for me, do it for me. So the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. You see, you and I have to make the decision in our heart. Are we going to honor God this way? And what will God have us to give? Then he says, as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly. Oh boy, here they go again. or of necessity, as if we're being forced. Well, let me give you the eighth one. And we move through eight pretty quick. I'm not asking for a pat on the back. Christians should give cheerfully. Christians should give cheerfully. That means to give happily. With rejoicing. Second Corinthians 9, verse 7, Every man according as he purposeth. Purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. Notice this, please. For God loveth a, say that word, cheerful giver. Many of you have heard preachers preach this text, and the, the word cheerful means hilarious. Just happy to give. You see, God is able. That's what Paul said. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. We can rejoice in the fact that God has worked in our hearts. God has been so good to us. God has provided so wonderfully for us that we have an opportunity to give and give cheerfully to him. So there are eight guiding truths for us concerning Christian giving. In fact, Paul even introduced a higher motive for giving than the keeping of the law for the Jews, and that motive for the New Testament Christian is grace. Grace. Well, you're in Second Corinthians nine. Would you look in chapter eight? Chapter eight. Moreover, brethren, we do wit. We do you to wit, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. God blessed through His abundant grace the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, in the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and even beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Here's the churches of Macedonia, because of God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, because of God's grace in their lives, even though they were in a trial of great affliction, even though they were in deep poverty, they wanted to give and they gave. And Paul says in verse number 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also, the grace of giving. Verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. The Lord Jesus Christ left the throne room of heaven and became a man without ceasing to be God. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He walked among men with no place to lay his head at night. Jesus became poor for us. He suffered because of our sin. He died for us so that you and I can have an inheritance in heaven eternal and fadeth not away. You see, grace gives us a higher motive than the law, doesn't it? Warren Wearsby says this, he says, Paul teaches grace-giving, which is certainly beyond 10%. Many Christians feel that if believers under the Old Testament brought their tithes, how could Christians under the New Covenant begin with anything less? John Phillips says grace not law governs Christian giving it is difficult to understand how a Christian under grace can give less than a Jew was required to give under the law we must be careful that we do not rob God John Guzik writes some Christians sadly argue against tithing on the basis of self-interest nevertheless Because giving is to be proportional, we should give some percentage, and 10% is a good benchmark. For some people, 10% really should be the beginning of their giving and not the end. If our question is, how little can I give and still please God, then our heart is not in the right place at all. So there's the controversy concerning the tithe. I think God has helped us clear it up, hasn't he? Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.